the role of, of a, a B2B buyer is one that is addressing very personal criteria. We want tools that help us perform at work, right? We're putting our jobs in the line when we make a B2B decision, a purchase decision. We want to trust the brands that we do business with. We want to be able to be proud of how we've spent even our organization's budget because we know that we can vote with our wallet in some cases to support organizations that align with our values. This is criteria that is actively being considered in the purchase criteria, even if we don't want to admit that it's happening. So in that regard, every B2B organization has to look at each of their buyers' set of these kind of personal values and understand where they overlap. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the B2BMX podcast. If you're a listener, you already know that we typically have myself and Alicia behind the mic to chat with experts and really share some of our favorite sessions from B2BMX past. But we've been having a few new fascinating conversations around how our jobs as marketers, relationship managers, and community builders have changed in light of the pandemic, right? But following the murder of George Floyd, we have been having even more conversations and, you know, in some cases, very tough conversations around how we can really amplify the voices of others, specifically those in the BIPOC community. So just from a demand gen report perspective, inclusion has always been top of mind, but really now more than ever, I'm personally making it a point to have these conversations with my team and make sure we give marketers and thought leaders of all shapes, sizes, colors, whatever you name it, a greater voice on our platform. And we're committed to diversifying our community from everything from content creation all the way up to our events. And, you know, personally, I'm just so excited to lead the team in these efforts. And then, yeah, I mean, we're, we're also seeing a lot of moves from companies. Some are obviously doing a better job than others. We'll get into that. But really, we wanted to shake up our typical structure a bit for the podcast today and focus more on having an open conversation with some friends and colleagues who are really passionate and knowledgeable in this area as marketers and media professionals. So I'm so pleased to welcome our colleague, Roman Agula, who is a stellar creative, one of our resident media experts, and also gets behind the mic himself once in a while. So hey, Roman, how's it going? Hey. How's it going? <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. We also have one of our very good friends, Katie Martell, who has been doing a lot of work around the intersection of marketing and social issues, specifically the impact of pinkwashing, greenwashing, rainbow washing, and now more than ever, performative allyship. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hi, Roman. Great. So I'm just going to get right into it. I'm going to throw out the first question so we could really start this conversation. So it has been, you know, an overwhelming few weeks, obviously, and a little bit exhausting in the world of marketing, PR, and, and anyone in communication. So I'd love to just hear from even all of you, you know, Alicia, Katie, Roman, how are you all holding up? Should I, should I point at somebody? All right, Katie, kick it off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm not I'm starting this one. <laughs> I know we're all trying to be polite podcast guests. And I should say thank you too for bringing this together and your statements about kind of your own commitments here. I think it's, it's we are seeing this incredible rise of voices from companies saying, 
we are going to do X, Y, Z. We are going to do better. I mean, this is a very strange time to be buying anything or on the flip side, marketing anything. I saw this amazing meme that was, it was just this like SpongeBob meme, but he's like looking between pride flag, this like stay at home pandemic narrative and Black Lives Matter. And it's like the text says, this is how companies are trying to decide how to go to market during June of 2020. And if you look at it, this is, people say the word unprecedented so much it's lost its meaning, but that's what they're talking about. I mean, marketers are now having to plug into multiple zeitgeists during a pandemic, civil unrest, unlike anything we've seen in the world in our lifetimes, if we didn't live through them in the last civil rights movement, and just this very strange confluence of having to run PR, content, communication, social media, you know, business as usual, in this context, it is it is completely exhausting, but I also think it's kind of exciting. And I say that with hesitation. Like, is it bad to think that this is a fascinating time in our industry? No, well, I think personally that it has led to, just from my own personal experience, so many productive conversations with people within my community, new contacts, and has encouraged me to kind of take a more critical look at the work that I'm doing, the people that I'm reaching out to, and even just reflecting on the things that I've done as a content creator and as a marketer. I'll give a a recent example. We wanted to kind of tap experts in ABM to create a video-based ebook just to kind of share trends, best practices, what have you, you know, all that good stuff. And then upon reaching out to all of the experts in the ABM tech landscape, a lot of those experts are white men. Um, so those are the people front and center, and rightfully so, that they're, they're smart guys. But at the end of the day, we're looking at this piece. I'm looking at this piece strategically. And I'm like, wow, this kind of comes off as off the mark, and it doesn't have the diversity of voices and perspectives that I think are required to create a good piece of content, a good story in general, right? So I think although it's, you know, a bit daunting to kind of drill deep into the space that you're a part of, the your social, following the people you follow through social media, kind of taking a critical eye to that, and also the content, the community that you're creating, it's a lot of work, but it's also rewarding, I, I think, in the long term, because you really can go into these conversations differently, I I think. And I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, just to tack on to that, Alicia, I I 100% agree. And I get it. We reach out to, you know, specific sources, industry thought leaders. And, you know, we're used to certain people and we're used to, you know, oh, this person is a quick turnaround. He'll respond quickly and he'll get us the insights that we need. But now I'm starting to really like push back on that and and just be like, okay, so yes, this person is an expert, but how can I really give somebody else a voice and kind of not have to repeat every single story with the same resources and stuff like that. So again, it is a lot of, you know, a little more work because you kind of just going for, you know, that easy, you know, quick turnaround. But at the end of the day, you really have to just stop and think about what the overall piece or, you know, it's related to content, but what the overall piece is going to look like once it's finished. And, and it's really important to, to diversify that. Yeah, I think it really comes down to just like kind of taking stock and in, in who you follow, who's a part of your community, who you 
tried to reach out to. I know like I personally been trying to do a bit more research, um, you know, kind of take a, a very critical eye to you know, even my own behaviors, like who I follow. I know Katie, you and I were having a side conversation about this, looking at this through Instagram, right? Like all of those Instagram entrepreneurs and like, yes, girl, like motivational speakers. And I'm like, okay, well, looking at these personas, so to speak, if we're going to talk marketing, they are very similar. And I think um, now we're seeing more marketers, even in B2B, try to peel back that onion, so to speak, of, of their own behaviors, their own communities, you know, who they follow, things like that, people, the voices that they amplify. But I mean, I think looking at this through the lens of B2B marketing specifically, I know pivoting from influencers to B2B marketing is a bit of a, a jump for some people. But I mean, Katie, what, what's your take? Do you think this is kind of a fork in the road because, and I'm asking you because you you speak with so many different folks in the industry. I mean, you're you're really um, a part of so many different communities. So, I, I mean, do you think this is really a big tipping point for a lot of marketers as far as you know how they build their communities, the messaging that they're trying to put out into the world right now? Oh man, it is, and we hear this a lot. But I think it's worth just pausing to reflect on the fact that. This is what we mean when we, the industry pundits of B2B, say that the worlds between B2B and B2C are blurring. This is what we're talking about, this kind of new expectation that is now placed upon B2B marketers who I don't think came into this job or this role expecting to now have to issue a statement about the Black Lives Matter protest or have something to say about femvertising or uh, the rise of feminism. It's really this interesting situation that a lot of marketers find themselves in. But if you think about it, it's we have to look at today, this very strange time in 2020 in B2B marketing in context. I've been very lucky to be in B2B MarTech for about a decade now, marketing to marketers. And you know that comes with challenges, which is a topic for a different podcast. But it also comes with this ability to be kind of a student of this industry and, and just kind of be watching how it's progressed over the last 10 years. What I've seen and, and what you all have seen in the rise of even your organization as you've been covering this rise is a giant explosion in the demand around marketing tech and marketing services. We know that, right? We know the landscape. When I started, it was like 150 companies in MarTech. Now it's 8,000. The world of marketing services has exploded over the last decade um, in terms of its companies that just need help in B2B demand creation. We have to stop and ask why. And I think it's because if you look at even broader, even further out, like 20 years ago, right? The beginning of the of year 2000, what we've seen since then is this massive explosion in competition, commoditization. There are just more companies than ever in every single vertical. What that's created is this world where brands now compete with each other on elements that go far beyond features, functionality, price point, right? So we are in an era of brand-led growth, especially in B2B. It doesn't matter if you sell HR tech or supply chain software. There are three or four or five or more competitors vying for the same share of wallets. So you've now entered this world where brand is table stakes, right? So is value-based marketing. And I mean values in terms of what you stand for as a business. This is how companies are differentiating. This is the new normal of B2B because of the rise of, of competition. And it's, it's also the new normal happening in the consumer world. So that line that I mentioned is blurred is just a non-existent in my mind. People buy B2B and people are going to buy from companies they trust and that align with them on shared values like equality, 
diversity, things of that nature. It's, you know, to your point, it is kind of a fork in the road. Welcome to this decision of whether or not you embrace the change, right? And the the fact that the world has now led towards, uh, you know, a, a, a competitive differentiation strategy based on these non-traditional elements where you stand on Pride Month, for example, or this other fork in the road where you can just continue to pretend like those things don't matter to modern buyers. I think it's a really fascinating time to be in B2B because I do believe that this is a situation in which the the best marketing will win. And that, again, sounds opportunistic, but it, to me, is exciting. It really is going to illustrate what companies are prepared for this moment and who isn't. And I'll pause because otherwise I'll get in my soapbox, you guys. Don't even get me started. <laughs> no, I definitely like that because, you know, I mean, obviously it's it's really easy to break down the imperatives and the red flags for, for B2C brands, right? Like they're so heavily, you know, visual on Instagram and, and things like that, whether it's, you know, uh, CPG brands, sports teams or any really, you know, company doing great things and not so great things um, in an attempt to show their allyship, whether it's for Black Lives Matter or the LGBTQ community or even just you know, gender specific, you know, for women and things like that. But just to dive a little uh, further and kind of break down the nuance for, for B2B, are there any specific rules that, you know, that are different or through a different lens? I mean, I, I, I could imagine the messaging and it's clear that, you know, we want to just talk to people. We want to gain that trust. And, and to be honest, a lot of, you know, Demand Gen Reports research has kind of already shown, you know, way, way before the, the pandemic and, and way before all of the things that are happening in the world today that, you know, buyers are just looking for somebody that they could trust and really help them, you know, instead of throwing product centric messaging and, and things like that at them, it's about building these relationships and gaining that trust, especially now more than ever. I mean, it's important as we're all kind of working from home and there's no face-to-face interactions just yet. So are there any kind of rules that apply you know, that are different or apply through a different lens? I think in B2B, you see a hesitancy, right? To really engage on topics that feel traditionally outside of the realm of our organizations. You know, hey, I'm, a, I'm an ERP provider. What do I, what, why does it matter that I as a company or, or I as the brand steward have a statement about Black Lives Matter? So I think you're, you're seeing this again, this, this hesitancy to engage because it doesn't feel like an appropriate topic. However, again, we have to be clear about the fact that, you know, people, to your point, the role of, of a, a B2B buyer is one that is addressing very personal criteria. We want tools that help us perform at work, right? We're putting our jobs in the line when we make a B2B decision, a purchase decision. We want to trust the brands that we do business with. We want to be able to be proud of how we've spent even our organization's budget because we know that we can vote with our wallet in some cases to support organizations that align with our values. This is criteria that is actively being considered in the purchase criteria, even if we don't want to admit that it's happening. So in that regard, every B2B organization has to look at each of their buyers' set of these kind of personal values and understand where they overlap. Not every company has to have a statement on every social issue. And I feel like that's worth like repeating. Not every brand has to have something to say about every social issue out there. Gun rights, abortion, gay marriage, you name it. Some things are just too polarizing for brands to have a say on, and that's actually okay. On the flip side, it's not okay to stand for nothing. 
One of my favorite quotes is from Bill Bernbach, who said, if you stand for something, at least you'll have some people for you and some people against you. If you stand for nothing, you'll have no one for you and no one against you, right? And which is worse for a marketer, to be uh, in the news or to be completely irrelevant? I think it's about finding that middle ground. Like This is like a truly consultant cliche answer, but it depends on your organization and, and the role that you play in the lives of your buyers. But I feel like we've lost sight of that in B2B. We get really caught up in what our competitors do, what consumer brands do, even just what industry luminaries that we respect do. And we get very reactionary. Making So to answer your question, Claudia, the, the rules around how to engage right now in a time of protest and social narratives for B2B is, is the rules that they've always been. Know your buyers. Know your place in their world. Know your values as an organization. And when they do align, leverage that in your marketing to remind buyers that you're on the same side against issues that matter to them. I also think it's worth noting that every company, whether you sell to a business, whether you sell to a consumer, in this context of the Black Lives Matter movement, has a role to play. Every business creates economic opportunity. And we do that, by the way, and you mentioned it in terms of the role that your business plays. You elevate voices. You shine a light on people. You give credence to companies and, and individuals. That's immense power. And you're very, very wise and, and thoughtful to say, I want to use that power more thoughtfully. I want to include more voices. Well, every business has an opportunity to do that, whether or not they are hiring more diverse employees, actively closing the wage gap that exists for Black individuals, especially Black women, right? They have an opportunity to stop being the gatekeepers of economic prosperity. Every single business has that opportunity. And so really, in the age of Black Lives Matter, no business is immune to this topic because every business has a role in the systemic racism the movement seeks to address. So I hope anyone listening who thinks we're not part of the problem and therefore we're not part of the solution, I hope you take a moment to pause and, and really question that assumption. Because I do think this is a chance for all businesses to say, we actually have a role to play in the in the solution here. We actually have a role to play in increasing economic prosperity for all and to be honest about it. And that's why you're seeing so many brands struggle to figure out what to do next. This is a new question. It's an age of accountability and sunlight forcing brands to be quite honest about the dire state of diversity. And look at the tech industry, look at the investment community. People say the word reckoning. It is truly sometimes, you know, feeling to me like it is a reckoning, like it is an opportunity for all businesses to, to act with integrity here and to expose those that aren't quite ready for this moment, if you all agree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And it's it sometimes, I mean, Alicia might giggle about this, but other conversations that we've had recently, obviously not on this topic specifically, everyone is talking about going back to basics. And honestly, you could actually think of it that way as well. Go back to basics. Look at your value proposition. Is it really, you know, is it still meaningful, as meaningful as it was when, when you created it originally? to today's times. And, and, and sometimes kind of, you know, companies kind of just need to just step back and, and take a look at their basics and, and, you know, something you start from the beginning almost, and to really kind of figure that out. I love that. Yeah, one of the one of the quotes I'm actually going to pull is from a band called Moonchild that was on NPR's Tiny Desk. And they took a second before their last song, and the lead singer stepped up and said, as you grow professionally and financially, your responsibility to give grows with you, so spend your privilege. And she was quoting also 
sort of riffing off of Brittany Packett and that idea around spending your privilege. But now I'm curious because Katie, you've written recently about your performative allyship and its detriment to businesses and marketers specifically. Can you break down what exactly that is and how marketers can maybe spot those red flags and better assess their approach to showing support? I love that that line that you've just read, spend your privilege. And I think this is where the Black Lives Matter movement and all social movements, this is what they're asking for. It's, it's, it's really not up to a few people to create change. It's a few people that create this kind of friction in the world that makes you stop and, and reflect. And that is a very powerful moment when you create the opportunity for someone to question what they think they knew, question their status quo, question the normal, the reality that they think that they understand. I mean, we are, we are seeing the impact of activism, but as marketers, I think that we have to recognize that what activists do is what marketers do, right? We create this kind of change. We do it in our markets and we do it in the minds of buyers as it relates to purchase criteria and purchase decisions. Again, if it's for a CRM, ERP, whatever else. But the lines are, the, the parallels are clear. I mean, activism seeks to get people to stop and think about whether or not they have, to your point, Roman, this, this privilege that can then be used to elevate marginalized voices, right? That's what activism does, period. Whether it's about the environment, about the Me Too movement, feminism, LGBTQ equality, anything else. And so in regards to allyship, in regards to this question of how business then plays a role in spending privilege, uplifting other voices, giving economic opportunity to others, there's this really clear line between allyship and performative allyship. And this is these are sometimes terms that I'm, I find that the people in the world of activism know very well, but people in marketing don't quite know, which again, why would they, right? Unless you have a degree in undergraduate study in feminism, or you've taken classes, or you've had a lot of friends and activists, why would you know about performative allyship? That's the only break I'll give, right? There is, a, there is a, an opportunity here, and we're hearing a lot about this, to educate yourself about the privilege you, you've been afforded. And I do love that onus that is placed on individuals, but it's also placed now on companies to recognize the role they play. Performative allyship, the definition breaks down into those two words. Think about the word perform, right? In this context, it means to entertain an audience. And that's what it is. Performative allyship is a show. It's this production that you put on, whether you're an individual or in this context, a brand, right? To show this veneer of support for insert social movement here. And typically we see it with any movement that has gained the popular opinion. So public support for gay rights and gay marriage is at an all-time high. And that is why a few years ago, you started to see companies switch all their logos to rainbows because it was popular, right? It's really, marketing is not very brave a lot of times. It's not really our job to be our job is to plug into the zeitgeist that are happening and align our brands to buyers as they are navigating this world. Performative allyship for Black Lives Matter, however, is actually a very dangerous situation. There's a, an article by Holiday Phillips that I recommend everyone Google. I'll tweet it. Maybe there's show notes here we can post it to. But it explains what performative allyship breaks down to. She is a former tech employee. She was at Apple, Monzo. Now she's an activist and a teacher. And the way Holiday breaks it down is really three parts. Performative allyship to her is number one, an empty promise. This is where you, you all were talking about this, you know, vague kind of statements about we condemn or right or we stand with or we, we're here for you. And it's like this lack of meaningful action, but 
full of these like empty statements. Some people call it homogeneous wallpaper, which I, homogeneous mm-hmm. wallpaper, which I think is yeah. hilarious. It's also number two, opportunistic. So this is when you're supporting a cause only when it's trending, often without any history of demonstrated support before the movement, again, became wildly popular. But the biggest part, and I think this is the clearest kind of gut check to ask yourself, is what I'm doing performative, is whether or not you're passing the blame. Many statements are just that. They're these just platitudes, right? They, they basically take no stand. Many corporate statements, for example, didn't include the word black. They didn't include black lives matter. They didn't include the term anti-racism. They didn't even include the word racism as if they were trivializing the matter, right? To, to say that, well, we kind of just stand for whatever it is that you'd like us to stand for. It's, it is the opposite of helpful because what it does is it takes up space, right? And there's a bunch of impacts we can talk about. But what it really does is it refuses to acknowledge personal responsibility for the systemic issues that provided the context for this movement. I'm quoting Holiday Phillips with that. It looks for a villain, like a bad police officer or a heartless conservative, whatever it is, it looks for someone else to blame and it separates you, the company that has no black employees, from them, the other people that are responsible for the injustices. This is pandering 101. This is empty woke washing. And to me, performative allyship actually carries very clear harm, but it happens. I get it. You know, you guys know me as a, my background in PR. I understand our need as marketers to protect our brands from cancel culture. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on cancel culture. But for me, it's this, our rush to issue statements was a preventative mood or move to stop other people in the industry, journalists, uh, folks on Twitter, whatever it was, buyers from calling us out for saying nothing. But I actually think that saying these platitudes carries bigger implications than we think. Yeah. I'm actually really glad you brought that up, Katie, because I noticed there have been a lot of conversations around, is it better to, you know, get a statement out there, just say something quickly because people are paying attention to how swiftly you respond to the situation or put your stake in the ground, get your opinion out there? Or is it more important to do that groundwork, like we were talking about earlier, take a pause, take a hard look at our business and determine what role do we play in this and what can we do to actually drive tangible change for the cause or support the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, or... And I think it's an interesting tug of war. Like I'm looking at, I'm trying to look at this diplomatically as, you know, someone who is part of a larger organization and is also a marketer who is passionate about these issues, right? And I do think at the end of the day, quality trumps all because like, even though there will always be people like, you know, shadowing through social media, like where, where so-and-so, like, what do you have to say about this? I think it's better to put that thought behind it and actually come to the table with a tangible plan or action item, something rather than, like you said, just focusing on like these vague, you know, these vague statements that kind of dance around the issue and don't really say anything. I think companies will be hit harder for that in the long term. I don't know if anyone else has a, a opposing viewpoint. I'm totally open to hearing it. I don't have an opposing point of view, but I mean, I just, I'm just going to chime in and say, I, I mean, I definitely agree. I actually saw a, a tweet it was one of those like tweets that go around as, as memes and and stuff like that. I've been seeing it shared on social. It it said something around like, wow, thank you for, for posting the black 
box on Blackout Tuesday. Now, mm-hmm. n- now show me a picture of your executive board. Yeah, because I imagine it's all white. You know what I mean? So it, it really is about using your voice and then adding that kind of action item at the end. Because I, I mean, I did, you know, myself see a lot of posts about that. And then it's like, all right, we're, we're working, we're working on some things. So we'll, we'll keep you posted on, on what we decide. Like, no, you should probably come out and, and take some action almost immediately when you're making these types of statements. I agree with both of you. I think we live in a world of accountability and sunlight brought about by social media. And it's both good and bad. This is where cancel culture comes from. It's never been easier to instantly pull up a company's record and place it right next to a statement from the company, a post on Twitter, what an Instagram, you know, Black Lives Matter statement. It's so easy right now to kind of be an armchair journalist and to say, hold on, you know, we have receipts. Like we know, like there have been so many brands that have stumbled into this world of virtue signaling. And the most famous examples are like the Pepsi ad with Kendall Jenner. And it's like that one image, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about because it went viral for all the wrong reasons. This is the first layer of risk that exists for any kinds of statements. I mean, we are reacting. And again, that's the key word is we're doing this kind of reactive marketing, which feels right when we're caught up in it like this, when we, when we kind of lose the forest and the trees, it feels good to, to be like, we moved quickly. Look how agile we were to issue a response and get something out and get ahead of the narrative. The problem is we haven't taken the time and it could be because, Hey, there's a freaking pandemic happening. So who is thinking thoughtfully right now, but we still have that responsibility as marketers to protect our brand safety. And that's the key word I think we need to focus on brand safety. Brands are built over the long term. When you ruin consumer buyer trust, it only takes seconds, but the result of that takes months, if not years to adjust. So is reactionary statements really the best use of your social media team, your poor social media person managing now global crisis uh, and your PR team and your marketing? Is reactive marketing really the answer here? I say no. Again, this is just from where I sit in terms of uh, being a communications consultant because it exposes our brands to that risk of being called out. However, and I, we have to be clear about this, and this is really the work that I'm trying to do. We also have, I believe, a responsibility to ask of the impact of everything that we do as marketers. And I don't say that as somebody who is like Pollyanna about the fact that marketing is this, you know, do good force in the world. But I, you know, I am a subscriber to this idea that marketing creates normalcy. If anyone here has uh, heard of Jean Kilborn, you know that she's done a lot of pioneering work in exposing the impact of advertising on the world of of, uh, women's body perception and even sexualization of children and some really, you know, alcoholic addiction, you know, really the intersection between advertising and our lives. I believe her core hypothesis, which is advertising creates normalcy. Marketing not only reflects what society is thinking, but it helps to perpetuate it. That's what marketing does, right? We create perception, we create changed minds, changed opinions. So with that comes some levels and layers of responsibility. And I think it's going to help companies figure out what to do next. Many have already issued their statements, but there will be another social movement. (laughs) There is this movement, hopefully, will not be just a couple weeks long. So we are going to have to check ourselves against the impact of what we do. So there are real consequences to being performative, being reactionary without, to your point, the work of how are we actually showing up with action, right? You've heard the phrase hashtag 
activism, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is a, this rise of, and we, and I do it. I mean, you and I both do it. Everyone does it, right? We kind of post the meme that shares, you know, the truth about police brutality or the, what to wear to a protest. Like we, we feel like we're helping because we are promoting. And, and in some cases we are these kind of memes and articles and, and tweets and retweeting others. And it, it feels good. But what the problem is, is that if we allow companies to just put statements out and we celebrate them for having something to say and maybe give a donation, but really nothing else. What we've done is we've redefined the movement. We've actually redefined it down to hashtag activism when the real work is so much harder. So we have to be clear that when we kind of pat ourselves on the back as marketers about look at all the great touching ads that we've run about this and we've solved racism through a Pepsi ad, we have to be clear that we're actually taking up space and redefining what it means to be part of this movement, which, as I mentioned, are things like closing the wage gap, paying essential workers more who you know tend to be in marginalized communities, protecting them with during the pandemic, continuing to promote and hire more Black professionals. I mean, that's the work that really the movement is calling for. So we kind of set the new precedent that that's what it means to be an activist brand when really the work is harder. The second thing it does is it exploits a very real movement for corporate gain. Let's be clear about this. It it doesn't feel good to to think about ourselves as co-opting a movement, but that's exactly what we're doing when we are opportunistically getting into this conversation, right? Without meaningful contributions to these movements, all we're doing is barging into the conversation and being like, well, it's about us. Let me tell you what we're doing about racism. No, no, no. Don't worry. We're not going to elevate anyone else's voices that are actually doing anything. We're just going to exploit it so that you're keeping us top of mind. Let's be clear about that. Like that is that is the number one, I think, impact for me. And there are many others, but I would love to pause and get your state, your reaction to those too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so I think that is all great stuff, but I want to drill a little bit deeper into like what we can do at the individual level. I'm I'm thinking about this more through like the lens of people who are part of large organizations, you know, who have very complex, large PR and comms team who may have their own vision of what this looks like or what this should be. I could imagine it's overwhelming and we're lucky we're, we're part of a relatively small team that is, communicates very well. We're relatively aligned, but I'm sure, you know, there are so many folks listening right now that are like, well, I'm one person and like, you know, there are X number of stakeholders and X number of gatekeepers and how many hurdles. So, I mean, what can the folks listening now do to one, you know, keep their company in check in a way, hold them accountable, like you were saying, and to make some moves individually to help, I guess, drive their company in the right direction. Or maybe it's not even about driving their company because there's only so much they can do, but what can they do as individuals, as as their own personal brand, so to speak, if we're going to get into that marketing side? Because I, again, I just feel like you know, listening to the big picture, the organizational impact can feel very overwhelming for people that are are just trying to get into this and, you know, sink their teeth into what this all means for them. Right. And I, and, and, you know, movements are comprised of individuals and individual stories. Like for example, the Me Too movement was the culmination of many individual experiences brought together. And I think that's worth remembering. So you might be this like lone social media person. And by the way, I, you know, I, cause I write a lot about the impact of, of kind of getting it wrong. And I, and I, I don't do that to put marketers in the light of a villain. I do that to say there is 
a responsibility to do better. And what I find is a ton of messages and even comments that are public, but mostly private messages from marketers who agree. They have written to me to say, thank you for saying this because we, in a time of a pandemic, we are all scared of losing our jobs. I happen to be independent and I happen to work for myself, which affords me immense freedom to kind of say this stuff out loud. And I'm not perfect. I don't know everything, but I will say that I have been looking at this issue for now four years and the impact of kind of the, the pandering, the brand pandering to social movements. The messages I get tell me that marketers want to do the right thing. You might be a lone PR person or, or part of a larger team, but you are still part of an organization. There are still people in the organization that likely share this desire to want to do the right thing. The problem is, right, we are now competing with the overarching pressure to make money. That is the purpose of a corporation. Don't tell me otherwise. I don't care about the statement of a corporation and doing well by doing good. Our job is to make our organizations profitable and to drive growth. That is not a bad thing, but sometimes it comes at this expense of doing what's right. I believe we can do both, right? You can do well by doing good. You can do the right thing in an organization by making it clear, speaking the language of a business, telling the E-team the risks of getting it wrong. That's why I focus so much on the impact of performative allyship in this topic. We can bring some of these impacts to the E-team to say, look, guys, if we're going to be called out as hypocrites, it's going to put us in a hole that we're going to have to dig out of for months, invest a ton in PR, invest a ton, right, in fixing the broken trust. They'll understand that. If you talk to them in terms of the internal diversity of the business, say you're trying to get them to maybe not issue a certain statement or not put the spotlight on them, you can say to them, look, other companies are setting transparency. They're actually making clear the ratios in their organizations of the number of Black individuals who are hired. You can set a precedent by saying, look what others are doing to do, to be transparent. We're not quite ready for that. So we really shouldn't issue a statement because we will be called out and held to that higher standard. Translate what you're doing in marketing, like you always do, to the language that the E-team will respect in terms of brand safety and risk. And you can get them to do the quote unquote right thing. But it takes you, poor beleaguered PR social person listening to this podcast, it takes you to figure out that you're not alone in this and that if you are able to be successful, you've avoided contributing to the problem. And if the organization you're in doesn't support your strategy, if you are really hurting to, to find any kind of allyship, even with other marketers that are trying to do the right thing, let me know. I will put you in touch with the multiple marketing leaders, both agency side and brand side, who've reached out to me to say, you're right. I never thought about it this way. There is impact to what we do and we can turn the ship. It just takes, honestly, this belief that you have a little bit more power than you think. We are also, by the way, seeing a ton of employee activism, walkouts, right? Petitions, internal movements to try to get company leadership to reflect the values of their employees. Is it perfect? No. Is it going to be effective all the time? Not at all. But you are never the only person seeking to do the right thing. There are always other resources and other ways to move that ship. This is the evolving conversation that we're having. So you might be the first to speak up, but you are not alone. There are others in pockets around the country that I'm speaking to, and I'm just one person, that are understanding the, the impact of doing nothing and understanding the impact of just business as usual, these performative statements without meaningful action. So Katie, you've, you've um, spoken at length about this idea of um, brand pandering. And I think one of the things that we or at least the keys to avoiding brand pandering is through um, true empathy and vulnerability through an open forum. 
which is actually why I'm so intrigued by the Pandemonium book and the documentary. Can you speak to some of the goals that you have set for that project and why you thought it was needed? Roman, I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you for letting me plug my my <laughs> new project. No, but <laughs> like course, four years ago, I had this moment. It was like on the couch. It was like 2 a.m. I was watching TV and I was watching these like this rise of like femvertising ads. There's ads that featured a bunch of girl power, equal pay narratives, just cliches about glass ceilings. And I mean, I just started to look at them as a marketer, as a woman, as you know, somebody who's like, what is going on here? This is a weird thing to be seeing in a commercial. This is more serious than, you know, a deodorant ad is really making it. And I've been watching the impact and the rise of these, these value aligned campaigns. It's really an amazing time to be in marketing. We are seeing greenwashing with the environment. We are seeing pandering to LGBTQ consumers in, in uh, the month of June no other time of the year because June apparently is the only time that we all exist. Uh, we're seeing it in March with International Women's Day. It is just this rise of virtue signaling. And so I started to ask myself this question. I started to write articles and then I started to get booked to speak about this. So, hey, I have a lot to say on this topic about why has this become the new marketing normal? What is the impact on these movements when companies don't live up to the messages in the ads? And what can individuals do on the consumer level at the employee level, at the executive level, at the agency level? What role do we all have to play in making these decisions? I believe that we, if this is going to be the new normal, then we need some new rules of engagement, which is why I'm thrilled that you all invited me here today. I'm trying to figure this out as we go. They, there is no rule book for the collision of social movements and marketing. But I do think there are some clear guidelines around what we could do to not co-opt these movements what companies could do to play a more meaningful role in the movements. And I think, I think the first step there is to expose the dangers, both to the brands and the movements themselves. And so that's what the book and the documentary and my apparently new life mission seeks to do. And the response has just been fabulous. It is it, the 2020 has been a year of just pandemonium, hence the name of the, the film and the book, both again with the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, everything. It's we're seeing companies unsure of how to proceed. And so this is my attempt to chronicle what's happening, how some companies are, are reacting, what consumers might need, and really what marketers can do to create this, this new place in society of, of feeling good about the role marketing plays in the world. Because I do believe it is such a powerful force that we, we can use it for some good, but it does take us to think beyond marketing. It actually requires us to get the entire organization to galvanize behind a movement before we, we co-opt it. So working on the book, working on the doc, I thought it'd be out kind of this summer, but because of what's happening, it's going to be pushed to hopefully this fall. And you can learn more at my website, katie-martel.com. I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I feel like I'm uh, promoting this, but thank you. It's, it's to me, uh, both a passion project and something that I feel like just has to be done. Yeah. And I, and I love, Actually, you speaking to the idea of that it's not perfect. It is a work in progress and not just for you, but for these brands in this sort of scenario of, well, we don't know. And to me personally, I think that when I hear a company or any brand or anybody, any influencers speak out and say, honestly, I don't, I don't know. It's not necessarily my fight. I'm here to amplify. So let me use this opportunity to spend my privilege in that particular scenario and amplify the voices of people that are fighting for this on a daily basis. But uh, on the flip side of that, I see a lot of brands are also pretty quick to put on that performative allyship post and to 
sort of pat themselves on the back and say, well, that's the end of that. Like, how do we turn a profit? <laughs> like, what, like, what role can marketers play to sort of uh, ensure that, that uh, sustainability and uh, extend that into other areas of the organization? Like, can marketers sort of be the drivers of that kind of exchange? You're asking if marketers can be the internal, almost watchdogs, right? And I think it's it's a great question. I think that in some organizations, marketing is not respected enough for a marketer, a PR person to really change strategy. I, I do think at other organizations, they hold marketing to uh, an, enough in, in enough regard where they're going to listen to the warnings. And again, it goes back to really positioning it in a way that the board and the E-team will care about. Show the risk of being called out for hypocrisy. Show the risk to both profits and employees and, and, and consumer sentiment. Show the risk in terms of bad press. And again, ruining and destroying trust. Show those risks but also look at the risks of your human capital management costs. And again, marketers are not HR people, but many handle employee and internal communications. And I think this is where we can have a lot of impact to say, look, employees are going to feel a sense of unrest, and many are in response to their employers' kind of empty statements. So tap on that. Tap on the fact that employees want to work for companies that they believe in, that align to their values, that they also trust you know, and so this is really a multi-layered problem that marketers can, we're good at spinning. So we need to spin it in a way that's going to actually, you know, create urgency on the E-team. Do I think that executive teams and boards care about the fight for, you know, anti-racism? No. Why would they? They're majority, not black. So we have to translate, you know, the problem in a way that speaks to what they care about, which is performance and growth and revenue. That is not a bad thing, by the way. That is just reality. So again, I, I believe marketers can leverage their power externally, leverage their brand voice to elevate voices like you're describing, Roman, which I love, you know, be a platform for voices that matter, but also internally create that change by, you know, encouraging businesses to, back to Alicia's point about a fork in the road, follow the path down where the future of business is going, where the alignment between doing well and doing good is the new future. And this idea of stakeholder capitalism, where a company is meant to serve all stakeholders and not just the shareholders is becoming the predominant business perspective. It all sounds great on paper and great in a PowerPoint and great in a podcast. The change happens each time you, the marketer listening, chooses to push back. And if you have the privilege of finding a new job and you can risk rocking the boat a little bit, I hope you do. And you're going to you're going to do what many can't do because they're stuck needing to hold on to positions. If you have the ability and the confidence in your own contribution to the business to actually speak up and do something that feels a bit uh, risky, I hope you do it. And I think you'll be able to live with yourself and look back and say, I did the right thing. And I'll help you write your resume in case you do get fired. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And it, it really has been just enlightening to hear so many voices speak out and really take ownership over, you know, their own actions and, and be transparent about how, you know, they're aiming to do this whole marketing thing better or, you know, just build better communities. Have you, Katie, gone through a, a similar journey? And if so, can you maybe share, you know, where your priority priorities lie moving forward? I have, yes, I have to be really honest. I have been called out in the past for kind of my own racism. And it, I have to be honest, we all, we all have to tell these stories because if we don't, we're all going to feel like, 
oh, I'm not part of the problem. I'm a, you know, just a social justice warrior. I was curating speakers for a group here in Boston that I was the executive director for Boston content. We were a content marketing community. We had, you know, events, they were all free. It was great professional development group. And I was just booking speakers left and right. I had this great event one year. I was excited about it. We had a great sponsor. We had like 300 people signed up and I got this email and I'll never forget getting it. I actually have it saved and printed because it was a moment of like, oh my God, really, really Katie, the femvertising slayer is being called all. It shows that all of us can be victim to it, but I really was booking speakers without a thought in the world about the diversity of the panel. And somebody wrote and said, yeah, you know, love Boston content, love what you're doing, Katie, but here are 10 people of color and Latinx and that you could book for your next panel. And I sat there like, I feel like the biggest idiot in the world. And if someone like me who feels like they're tapped into social justice, who tries to, you know, make this world a, a bit more equitable in the work that I do, if I'm falling for that implicit bias and the pattern recognition that all of us are kind of living with every day, then anyone can, right? It, it takes us all to be like, look, I messed up. And I put out a statement. I said, look, I totally messed this up. And since then, every panel I book or speakers, anytime I speak somewhere, I bring this privilege to your point, Rome. I bring my privilege to say, but what about these people that aren't getting this opportunity? Do you know about these people? How about those voices? And that's, I think, incumbent on me to do because I'm in this place of getting invited to speak and getting invited to be on these panels. If I don't do it, who's going to, right? And I think that that's kind of incumbent is all of us to, to do that. So it's always in the back of my head. And, and to your point, yeah, it's, I have had to do even a lot of education around how to talk about this issue. So you'll see the article that I wrote. I tried to quote as many other people as possible, not because I don't trust in my own instincts, but because I know I don't have all the answers. That I think is the only approach for every organization right now. If you don't know what to do, elevate the voices of others, get out of the way and start educating yourself and really being open to listening. And I think that is a great mantra as well for individuals. And it takes us, all of us, to recognize that we all are suffering from racism in the sense that the society around us perpetuates it. It's not that we're bad people. It's that we live in a society that has systemic racism built into it. So the work that the Black Lives Matter movement is asking to be done is not platitudes. It is active anti-racism. Companies that address that and adopt that are the ones that are actively helping the movement. The others are bandwagon brands who, A, will be forgotten because they sound like everyone else, and B, are, are missing an opportunity to earn trust, you know, build affinity, and I think do the right thing and actually help this movement. Yeah. I, I think you called out a really important point or, or keyword for that matter, implicit. And I think that's the big thing that you know, a few people I've seen, you know, kind of sharing their input on this movement and the the All Lives Matter folks um, is like, well, I, I wasn't taught to see color. Or, oh, I'm not racist. But it's so ingrained in our society, our upbringing that, you know, these innate biases, we don't even notice them until we take that moment to pause and reflect. And I think that's that's the most important part, if, if only for the learning process for you as an individual. And, and I just want to share before we close things out with you, Katie and, and Roman, I, I think this, you know, again, bringing up the memes um, is, is it perfectly encompasses our conversation today. And it says to show up imperfectly, but open to change is better than not showing up at all. And I think that really speaks to the fact that you may not have the perfect answer. You may not know the best way to move forward, but doing the work, doing the learning 
if only to reflect on, on your own actions is just so important. And I think we, we've called out a lot of really critical action items for our listeners today. But if we were kind of to summarize this down, boil it down to maybe one or two key things, Katie, and, and, and to the end, any resources that you know we discussed today, we'll make sure are in the show notes so everyone has easy access to them. What would be that, that key call to action, so to speak, for, for our audience today? I think first and foremost, recognize that while it's encouraging to say we don't know everything and we're learning, we also do have to hold our organizations to a higher standard. We are the gatekeepers of economic prosperity by the by the way of who we hire and how we develop a culture within our organization. So we have to be clear that performative allyship can sometimes be that trap of just saying, well, we'll work on it. And real allyship is setting transparent goals. You see companies putting actual numbers like they would sales targets. Those are the companies that are serious about this and deserve our praise. Start in your backyard, fix your internal problems before you seek to kind of address the boogeyman of racism elsewhere, fix it in your own house. Um, And understand that this is more serious than marketing. This is a, a movement that asks for individuals who are Black to stop being killed. This is serious. We need to not treat this with impunity. I get on my soapbox a lot about how femvertising creates an illusion of progress around feminism that holds the women's rights movement back. And it does. This feels more serious because it is. The Black Lives Matter movement is asking for basic decency and for our Black brothers and sisters and, and anyone in between to be treated with basic humanity. Let's not co-opt it in a way that prioritizes our profits. Let's remember what it's about and what it's for. Love that. Ooh, well, Katie, sorry. I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, everyone's like, yes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, I think this has been fantastic. Kate, I feel like every time we, we speak, even not on the record, like this is right now, I, I come out of the conversation equally enlightened, inspired, and, and like I got hit with a baseball bat. <laughs> <So> <laughs> thank you so much. You are for- so welcome for breaking it all down. Thank you. Thank you for the daily beating and uh, for for being so transparent with us. And thanks Roman so much for uh, joining this conversation. And as always, um, thanks everyone out there for listening. If you have any feedback for us on this episode or just the series as a whole, of course, feel free to drop us a line on social media, drop us an email, any way you want to get in touch with us. Also, most important to note, if you have a viewpoint or experience in this space, if you have a story you would like to share based on your career, um, your own experiences in in this B2B world that's getting increasingly complex and and, uh, I think important um, as far as media consumption goes, definitely reach out to us. We'd love to continue the conversation. Thanks again, everyone, so much for uh, taking the time out to join us and we'll see you next week.